If you have not been here over the last uh, number of months, we've been going through our 10 core values here at First Baptist Church. And uh, the last three weeks, as I said, we've been covering marriage, and today will be the last one on that. So let me read the definition of marriage. In fact, why don't we read it together, okay? Would you read this with me? We value marriage. Read it with me. We value marriage as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman that reflects Christ's relationship with his church. All right, so that is the definition we have come up with the value of marriage and what it means for us here at First Baptist Church. Today, I kind of want to focus a little bit more on the lifelong commitment. And, um, you know, today it actually means a little something more to me as well because um, uh, 18 years ago, uh, my wife uh, now and I uh, stood on this platform and uh, said our vows. And so today, actually, June 8th is our 18th anniversary. Yeah. And I must be getting to be an old married couple because I lost my wife somewhere in here. I don't know where she is. There she is. All right. I was looking for her down here and there wasn't a room. So she slipped back a couple rows and I didn't find her. So there she is. All right. Um, well, uh, um, you know, I, I, I look at that marriage and um, that definition that we have there and what it takes to have a lifelong commitment And I thought, you know, what has worked for us for these last 18 years? Not to say at all that I have done things perfectly. Um, I have a wonderful wife who has blessed me beyond my belief. I married up, way up when I got married. Um, But there are some things that Carrie and I have learned. We've we've been to marriage conferences. We've read uh, marriage books. We've watched uh, DVDs, um, things that God has revealed to us out of Scripture and through other mentors in our lives and such. And I thought, you know, what would it be? like if we just tried to kind of put a number of them down on paper and said, what makes marriage last? Go the distance. And so this is not an all-inclusive list. Um, It's a list that I've gathered, pulled together, actually used some other church resources on this as well. Uh, There's a great church in uh, uh, Aptos, California, Twin Lakes Church, who's done a message similar to this. But then also just looking at, you know, the DVDs, the books, the, the marriage conferences that we have gone to. There were two criteria that I wanted for these seven characteristics. One was that it was biblical. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I wanted everything to be in here, very biblical and from God's word. But secondly, I also wanted to bring in some scientific research and some places where experts have done their studies on marriage and what they have learned about marriage to back up what God's word would say as well. And so that's what we have here underneath each of these points, have some teachings from God's word and then also things that are supported by marriage, because, you know, marriage has changed a a, a lot, you would say, even from the biblical days. Some good, some not so good. Uh, I I mean, some of you are old enough to remember uh, some of those old sitcoms, uh, Father Knows Best, or My Three Sons, or even the Brady Bunch, where it's kind of like the the husband came home from work, and as he did, the wife was there, and she had a meal cooked and prepared for him, maybe even, you know, gave him his, uh, in the My Three Sons, I think there's kind of like, like, uh, here's your newspaper and your slippers and go ahead and, you know, read your paper and that type of a setting. Kind of reminds me of the old story, and some of you have heard this before, of, of this woman who takes her husband to a doctor's appointment 
And after their visit in the doctor, um, the, the woman uh, uh, is asked by the doctor to take her husband out to the car and to drop him off there and to come back and speak with the doctor personally. And so she's kind of questioning what this is, but the husband kind of leaves and the wife takes him out to the car and the husband um, uh, goes out to the car and the wife uh, is told by the doctor, he says, you know, your husband is suffering from acute stress, ma'am acute stress. In fact, you need to relieve his stress in every way possible, as much as possible. For example, in the morning time, when he wakes up, you just love on him. In fact, give him a little bit of romantic intimacy as well, and then get up and go make a great breakfast for him. Whatever he wants, make it from scratch. Um, While he's eating breakfast, massage his feet. Um, After breakfast, you come back and you get him dressed and and you just have no stress whatsoever in in his day, in the morning. And when he comes home for lunch, I want you again to be there for him. Maybe a little bit of romantic intimacy there at lunchtime as well. A homemade lunch for him. Give him a nice back rub, candles, incense, soft music, low lights. The works for your husband. And when he comes home after, after deal, or after working, you be there in a negligee, and you be ready for him, and you have a homemade dinner, and you get it ready like his mom used to give him dinner, and you don't let him do any dishes, you don't let him do any chores, you send him to to bed as a happy, happy man. Uh, He has got to have no stress whatsoever, or this could be fatal. So she looks back at the doctor and says, okay, thank you. And, and walks out to her car, kind of contemplating and thinking about this. And her husband's in the car, and the husband, as soon as she walked in, says, well, what did the doctor say? And she looks at him, and she says, that you are going to die. <clears throat> Basically, yep. Simple as that. <laughs> All right, so biblical and backed by research, all right? Biblical and backed by research. Now, and, and why do we need this? Why, why do we need to talk about marriage and love that last? Why is this so important? Because obviously marriage is rampant, in, or excuse me, divorce is marriage on our marriages and the attack on our marriages. Divorce is rampant in our culture and society today. In fact, a few weeks ago, I kind of mentioned a little bit about even starter marriages that people have and they go into and realize or they say, well, if it doesn't work, it, you know, I'll just go someplace else, kind of like a starter home and I'll just move on and move up and move out and do something differently. Um, every week we get prayer cards, some from you personally saying, would you pray for my marriage? I'm not sure it's going to survive. Others for family and friends that you might have, neighbors that you might have. And like I said, as a staff, we pray for those every week. But we see. We see how tough and how rampant um, uh, divorce is in our society. Do you know one of the strongest analogies in Scripture is where Jesus, though, loves his people, loves his church like a groom loves his bride? I mean, that marriage analogy is all over Scripture. In fact, look at this verse out of Isaiah 62, verse 5. It says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. It's a beautiful imagery here. So shall your God rejoice over you. It's scriptural that God views his relationship with us much like a marriage, like a groom and a bride married and unified. To go the distance. 
If you are married here today, you have got to know Satan has a target on your back. And he is doing whatever he can to pull you down. If you are uh, engaged or a dating couple, he is doing whatever he can to throw his, his weight at you, to get you to falter, to get you to fail at that relationship. You know why? Because if our society sees kind of even Christians saying, well, it's just starter marriage, it's okay, I can get divorced, I can just kind of move on. The analogy gets tainted and it gets disregarded and that it gets kind of thrown away. And then people outside look at us and say, well, you know what, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you went there to First Baptist Church. And people then devalue church and they devalue relationship with God with that same kind of trivialness and that same kind of insignificance. Now, I'm not trying to put blame or guilt on anybody here. I'm just saying that's often what happens. That's why Satan has come so hard to attack marriages and the homes and the, and the family lives that are there as well. And so you have got to protect your marriage. You've got to know you have a bullseye on your back if you're in a marriage relationship or if you're engaged and you're heading that way. And so I want to encourage you in that. Now, I realize we also have a number of singles here as well. Statistics say you will probably be married again at some point in some time. And so this is for married, this is for couples, this is for singles, whoever it may be, because we need to learn these things that make marriage and relationships last. And so let me go over these one by one. Some I'm going to do very quickly. Some I'm going to take a little bit longer on, but let's see what we can get through here. Number one, seven characteristics of love that lasts. Number one, I'm going to say you need to have a friendship. You need to have a friendship in this relationship with your life partner. Are you compatible as friends? Do you enjoy spending time together? In fact, if you're not married and and you're kind of, you know, open to dating and such, let me just encourage you, more friendship, less dating. Enjoy friendships. Get to know one another through friendships and not as much the dating because when the flutters of the stomach kind of wear off and when the skyrockets and, you know, the lip lock kind of ceases and all that kind of stuff, you need to know. Do you, is your love based on a friendship? Is it based on being able to share commonalities and ideals and friendships that you'll have with one another? In fact, look at that statistics there from Dr. John Gottman. Uh, Writes down, after 15 years of studying over 600 couples, says the determining factor in whether husbands or wives feel satisfied with their marriage is, by 70%, the couple's what? The couple's friendship. That they can just be friends even together. You know what the Bible says about that? It's a beautiful um, book, Song of Solomon, that many of you will know um, is kind of symbolic of God's relationship with us. It also kind of depicts a, a love relationship and two lovers together and the enjoyment of that. Look at what it says there out of Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16. This is my beloved, and this is my, what's it say there? This is my what? My friend. My beloved, and this is my friend as well. And so in those of you who are married, uh, continue that friendship. Continue to develop that. Continue to, to do things that will bring that about. That's why, you know, about a month ago, we had a date night here on our campus on a Friday night. In fact, we filled up the entire uh, welcome center with couples who were saying, we just want to come out, uh, get away maybe from the family for just a bit, focus on one another, and enjoy what friendship we have and to build our friendship in our marriages. 
Friendship. Friendship is so, so, so important. Let me give you a second thing, though, that I wrote down there as well. And again, these are in no order whatsoever. Just kind of threw them all together, but let me throw this one out to you. Second characteristic is that we should have fun. Do you have fun together as a couple? Do do, do you create fun as a couple? Did you know that um, the average child laughs 150 times a day, but the average adult laughs only 15 times a day? Now, where did the fun go? I, I think many times we take ourselves way, way too seriously. Kind of reminds me of the husband who went to his wife and said, you know what, honey, if you could have anything in the world for one day, one day, what would you want? She kind of contemplates that a little bit, and she says, oh, to be six again. So he says, okay, you know what, let's see what I can do there. And so he kind of throws her like a surprise birthday party one evening, and she kind of enjoys that, and that's kind of fun, kind of like, you know, those old birthday parties. And then she gets up the next morning, and he has got a whole day planned for her. He whips her off to the local amusement park. They go on every ride possible. They go on the roller coasters. They go on the pirate ships. They enjoy They kind of stagger out. Their heads are kind of reeling. Then he takes her to McDonald's, and he gets her a Happy Meal, right? The kids and orders extra fries and a big chocolate shake. They go out to the latest movie. It was a kid's movie. And they sit there like kids in there and just enjoying this. They're eating hot dogs and popcorn and Coke and M&M's. It is just a great adventure. And finally, when they're done with the day, she kind of wobbles home and she goes into the bed and she just lays out on the bed. She's just done with it. And the husband kind of lovingly walks over her and says, Honey, what was it like to be six again? And she opens up one eye and she goes... You idiot. I meant my dress size. (laughs) Moral of the story, even when a man is listening, he still gets it wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to have fun together, to not take each other so seriously, to enjoy life together, maybe to do that, to be six years old again. Look at the stat that I put down there. Uh, Drawing on interviews of over 100 couples, Dr. Katherine Johnson reports, married or couples married happily for over 50 years tend to attribute their marital longevity at least partly to a sense of humor to be able to, to joke, to being able to enjoy, to being able to laugh a little bit, to get through it all. Um, Dean Redfern, long time a member here at First Baptist Church, uh, passed away last week. And I am privileged to get to do her funeral <coughs> service, excuse me, on Tuesday here at First Baptist. I, I didn't realize, but I was meeting with the family this last week. She had been married for over 50 years. Uh, before her husband passed away about 20 years ago, um, but married for 50 years. And so she knew this. In fact, when we talked to the family a little bit, she knew how to have fun in life. She, in fact, she told the family, she said, she said, tell Pastor Brad, she was kind of uh, getting and preparing for her funeral time in her last days. She said, tell Pastor Brad that I feel sorry for him as he's leading the church. And, and they said, why? What, what do we tell Pastor Brad that for? And she said, because um, now he's going to have one less Dodger fan in the congregation when I pass away. For her 90th birthday party, they surprised her and everybody in her family came wearing Dodger blue attire. 
and, and jerseys and uniforms. Even the giant fans said that they put on the Dodger blue for her. On her 89th birthday, she went down to Dodger Stadium for the very first time and sat in the crowd, and she was honored in some way. I don't remember quite how she was honored, but she was honored in some way, and she was given a baseball, and she had her whole family gather around her, and she held it up as though she had caught the foul ball. (laughs) You know, there's someone who knows how to have fun. And in a relationship, in your families, do it. My family and I, we were on vacation for the last 10 days. We enjoyed our time away. Just time to sit around the table and uh, and places that we went and laugh and talk about the day and future and and fun together. I want to encourage you, though, as well as couples, don't forget, do that together. Have fun together. Proverbs 15, 15, look at what it says. It says, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart is a continual feast. He has a continual feast, those who are cheerful in heart. Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Take time to laugh. Take time to enjoy life. Take time to go out on date nights just as couples. In fact, um, some of you will say, well, you know, that's kind of expensive to get to go on vacation or get to go out to you know, dinner or date nights and such. doesn't have to be. On the back of your sheet of paper, if you turn that over on your bulletin or in your outline, we put putting the fun back. And there's 20 different ideas that you could go through and do just to enjoy cheap, inexpensive things under 20 bucks. Uh, The first one talks about dress up for a meal that you bring home from your favorite fast food restaurant. Maybe you both bring Happy Meals home or something like that, right? Kind of create a, a centerpiece of tablecloth and favorite romantic music if you like. Number four, leave love notes to one another. Hide them in unusual places like the freezer, a shower, the bathtub, makeup kit or something like that. I remember I had that idea and this was the stupidest thing I did in the world. I took a rose and I hid it in the toilet for my wife. I know it. Now, I didn't put it actually in the water. I put this like plastic cellophane across the toilet like that. And I put a rose right on it and close it down. And she opens it up and she's like, "Like, stupid. Uh, It was dumb. I don't know why I did that. I just, I don't know. I think she humored me, thought it was cute. I don't know. Something like that. Six, buy a modern paraphrase of Song of Solomon and read it to one another. And can I just say the more modern, the better, right? Okay. 20, down at the bottom, make a fire in the fire pit and roast some s'mores. That's what we did for our date night when we did it here at the church uh, last month. We, we had s'mores and just like big kids over campfires, we went out on the walkway and just enjoyed time together. It's not about the money. It's not about the expenses. It's about a little bit of creativity and having fun together. Work on the friendship. Have fun together. Let me give you the third thing. Again, I said this was in no particular order. This is the most important, though, that I would say, and that is to have a Christ-centered home. Have a Christ-centered home. Joshua 24, 15 says, But as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. Absolutely, we will serve. It's so important for both mates to have this as their desire. This is foundational to develop a spiritual life together, to develop a prayer life together. You know, sometimes when we hear about a prayer life, we think, well, it's got to be just something awesome and just, you know, hours on end. No, you don't. My wife and I, every night, we pray together. Sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's a little bit longer, but it's just kind of blessing them the day that has come and the day that is coming and to say, God, you're in charge 
charge of this. You're in the midst of this. You are in our relationship together. My wife and I, we do get to do that on a nightly basis, praying for one another. I encourage you as well, challenge one another. Have a small group around you that prays for your marriage. We need that for one another. Look what it says in um, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That is so important to pray together. Do you, do you know how bonding, in fact, this is? When I was a singles pastor, I was doing some research, and I found out that one singles pastor um, forbid his, her congregation, I think it was a, a, a male pastor, forbid his congregation um, of singles to pray together. He said, it is too emotionally connecting to pray together. Don't, don't do it. There, there's something that's just so attractive about that. And he kind of said, don't do it. Now, I don't know if he was using reverse psychology or just exactly what he was doing, because now I can think in my mind, can you imagine now the new First Baptist singles pickup pick line is, uh, hey, baby, you want to pray, right? <laughs> hey, yeah. But, but there, there is something. There's something about praying together that draws you together. In fact, a, a, a Gallup study said this of 657 married couples. The best predictor of whether a couple is happy is joint prayer. It is coming together and praying. And this sounds so corny and so cheesy, but I'll throw it out there anyway because you know what I'm going to say. The couple that prays together stays together. Why? Because you, you have these common goals. You have, you know, um, uh, uh, your desires kind of more line up. And, and on top of that, it is hard to be mad at someone who you're praying with. We need to pray more together. A Gallup poll stated that for married couples who pray together, they are twice as likely to be romantic. In fact, 90% were better satisfied with their sex lives who prayed together. I mean, if I offered you a pill, you would probably do that for those kind of results, right? 90%. Let's call it prayer agra. You know what? We can, we can just say like that. How about that? There you go. Pray together. Try it. 40 days. You know, experiment and all that. Now... I, don't do that because you want to you know, be more romantic or have a better sex life, but do it because God works on you. God works on your heart. He causes you to be the person that you need to be. He helps your spouse be the person that they need to be. And two, healthy people who are God-focused and God-centered are so much better compatible. They're, they're, they're going to bless one another rather than being selfish, as so often happens when we get our eyes off of Christ. So we need to be Christ-centered in all that we do in our lives, in our homes. Let me go on. Fourth, I wrote down to have a committed love. A committed love. In fact, you see the verse there out of Mark 10, 7 and 9. This is often read at weddings where it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And Jesus says at the end of that, let um, uh, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Uh, you know, I want to encourage you in this because every relationship is going to have its difficulties. And if you are here today and you are in a marriage, you know that it's going to have its difficulties. But if both partners are willing, if both partners are willing, anything can be overcome. Jesus says this. He says it in John 16, He says, in this life, you will have tribulation. You will have problems. 
In this life, you will have, if you're married, you will have problems. You will have difficulties. But he says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome those. And for a man, the husband, to have his focus on Christ, and for a female, for the wife, to have her focus on Christ, is going to get it off the stuff that we do and the wrong that we do and the sin nature that we have and say, I'm working towards that. I'm working towards that. And both focused on that together. That will make such a difference. Christ has overcome that. Make a commitment today in your marriage relationship. Divorce is not an option. Divorce is not an option. Murder, perhaps, but divorce (laughs) is not an option. No, I'm joking. You know I'm joking. You know I'm joking. Divorce is not an option. Make that commitment to stick it out. Some of you are here today, and you have let that creep in. Let Christ take that over. Let the Holy Spirit come in and say, that is not an option. Do not allow that thought to creep in. Because in your actions, start to step out of the marriage, and you know where that leads. In fact, even the infamous Dr. Kinsey study, after studying 6,000 marriages, 3,000 divorces, look at what it says, there may be nothing more important in a marriage than the determination that it will persist. It will persist. Committed love. Fifth, I wrote down communication. Communication. Now, I I just have a moment just to talk about this. This is a blip on the screen. Communication is one of those that we can go in so many different directions. But I I just want to encourage you, communication as in love and building one another up. Look at 1 Corinthians 8. One says, love builds up. Sharing, communicating that. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day. Every day speaking positively to one another. Every day not bringing in put-downs. You know, it is so popular to bring put-downs into our culture or into our marriages. Culture feeds us with that. Even television and media feed us with the put-downs and put-downs on men, put-down on marriages. But let me read you a very interesting stat. Psychologists Cliff Norman and Howard Markham, look what they say here. Newlyweds with a put-down per comment ratio of 5 to 100 or lower tend to be together 10 years later. However, those with a ratio of 10 to 1 or higher were nearly all divorced. Just the words you say, the words to, to build someone up or to put someone down. We need to see, has that crept too much into our relationship? Have we uh, allowed those disparaging remarks to creep in and knock down our spouse instead of building them up and taking them to another level? Um, If there is one book that I could encourage you to read, some of you have read it a few different times, but I encourage you maybe to look back over it, um, on how to communicate well with one another. It would be The Five Love Languages by uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and put these up here again. I don't have a lot of time to talk about these, but in essence, what it is saying is share love with your spouse. And it's not always just in one way. It could be in the words that you say, or it could be in the acts of service that you do for one another could also be in the time that you commit to spend to one another or just a physical touch, maybe a handhold or a rub on the shoulder or a rub on the knee or something like that, or gifts that you might share. They have come and they have said there are five different ways that we show and we speak love to our spouse. 
And what we often do, unfortunately, is we speak that love in the way that we wish to receive it instead of in the way that they hear it best. And so the goal of the book is to kind of say, okay, find out what your spouse's love language is and speak it to them in that way. Show it to them in that way as much as possible. Again, I don't have a lot of time to talk about that, but I just wanted to kind of put that before you. Some of you are aware of that. Some of you, it would be good to read that. If that does not work for you, you can do like the young guy did at his family reunion who was watching his grandma and his grandpa. They've been married for over 50 years, and he knew the stats and said, wow, that's incredible. And it, he, he, he saw that his grandpa kept calling his wife by these pet names. I mean, he'd be, she, he'd be calling her, you know, sweetie pie and honey sugar and lump and, you know, honey lump and kitten and honey dumpling and bear bear. And I mean, all, all these, these just sweet, sweet names. I mean, it's almost sickening how, how much he would call these sweet, sweet names. And he finally goes to his grandpa and he says, Grandpa, you know, I've been listening to you do this. I, I don't often see husbands talk to their wives like this. Is that your secret? Is that why you've been together for decades? Is that your secret? And he kind of looks left and looks right and he says, no, actually, I forgot her name 12 years ago. <laughs> But maybe we should forget one another's names more and bless them with words of uplift and encouragement and love. Okay? Communication, communicating love. Let me go on. Conflict resolution. Love that lasts, relationships that last, know how to resolve conflict. When I work with married couples, when I work with engaged couples and planning on getting them married, some of the key things I focus on, communication and this conflict resolution. Um, two rules that my wife and I, carry have put into place and we try and follow as much as possible when we know we're coming to a, to a time of talking about some issues. Two rules we put into place is unload your guns at the door. That is, don't come in firing. Don't come in with, I'm just going to have my way and just spout it off and just say it. Unload your guns at the door. And secondly, no bone digging. Don't go for one last ditch effort of throwing something on top when you're losing the battle so that you can get them, you know, just fired up and get them going a different direction and, and trying to win a battle by digging up old bones and old issues that you have dealt with before and maybe you know will still annoy them and so you bring them back out on the table. You unload your guns and you don't come in with any bones. You leave that in the past and you come to a place of saying, how can we come to a resolution in this? You know, Proverbs talks about that. Or it says in Proverbs fifteen eighteen, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Come into a place of just saying, how can I understand what you are going through? How can you understand what I'm going through? In fact, let me give you some very practical advice. And, and again, I could probably take the next half hour and talk about this next thing for, for that half hour. But 22 years ago, my wife and I were at a marriage conference here. We had just started dating, just within the first six months of dating. And we still remember a technique that was taught to us called quick listening, where the idea is to get together facing one another, sitting down, looking eye to eye, not with crossed arms, not with crossed legs, but looking at one another and listening to one another with what issues they may be going through. Not in a way to say, I'm going to respond to that, I'm going to argue with that, I'm going to defend myself, but in a way to listen to it. 
and to hear what that person's going through. And the easiest way I can describe this is when someone, when the, one of the mates shares some information, is for the other one to be listening and repeat it back of what they just heard. Now, that will do wonders in some of your marriages. Because, if men, if you're like me, when she's talking, I'm already thinking how I'm going to defend. I'm already thinking what I did differently or what she says is wrong and how I'm going to tell her that instead of listening and repeating back. Think of the fast food restaurant you will go through in a drive-thru. You roll down the window, you go to, let's say, McDonald's, and you say, yes, I'd like a Big Mac fries and a Coke or whatever you order there. What do they say back to you? No, do you want some? Can I give you a, yeah, can, can you repeat that? Right. It's not, can I supersize that for you, right? It's, it's, can I repeat that? And they say, you'd like Big Mac, you'd like fries, you'd like Coke. That's what we do in marriage. As we sit down from one another and we say, okay, this is what I heard you say. And the wonder of the spouse who is having the difficulty hearing what has just been said, whether it's verbatim or in the other person's words, does wonders. Does wonders. In fact, just agree to sit down and do that quick listening exercise. In fact, I, I gave this stat. I gave myself a little credit on this one. Um, Dr. Bradley C. Stahl says this. <laughs> of the battle is just agreeing to start the quick listening process by sitting down face to face and understanding will soon follow. Not sitting down to say they're going to hear everything that I want them to hear, but sitting down to have understanding, to have and gain understanding will go Miles. Again, that's something that Carrie and I learned right up here on this stage with a marriage conference we were in. We have tried to do that 22 years later. We don't always do it perfectly, but um, that's just some hints on how to go about doing that. Again, I'd love to sometime display that or show how that works because in a very practical way, that has helped us through many, many difficulties and misunderstandings, and I would encourage you as well. But time is getting away. Let me go through one more point, and that is this. Shared purpose. A shared purpose. The word says out of Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or prosperity, not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. That's what I want for you. That's what God says to us personally. And when you come together as a married couple and share a shared purpose that goes beyond just, okay, we're two individuals, but a shared purpose of looking bigger and greater, a shared purpose of helping raise children or a shared purpose of helping further the kingdom of God, a shared purpose of saying God is in the midst of our relationship and we're going to do some special things in our relationship. That is so much greater than just a day-to-day kind of relationship that many of us kind of fall into. In fact, look at the stat down there of Gottman's study of 600 couples. He says, in the strongest marriages, husband and wife share a deep sense of meaning. They don't just get along. They build a sense of purpose into their lives together. And if you've lost some of your way, folks, I want to encourage you. Maybe do something together that goes beyond just yourselves. Go beyond it. Maybe bless other couples. Get involved with some small groups here that might be a part of couples' things and go with the understanding that I want to bless others and pray for others and help others. In the midst of that, it will enhance your relationship as well. You know, uh, my wife and I were reflecting upon our um, wedding anniversary, which is today, and we remember a couple who got married almost one year 
exactly after we got married. Their names are June and Ajing Hamosmos. I'm not sure if they're here this morning, but there are some good friends that have attended our church for years, and uh, I was privileged to marry them uh, 17 years ago. And, and they did something very interesting in their wedding ceremony. They came and they talked to me about what often happens with a marriage uh, uh, unity candle. And if, if you've been to weddings, you kind of know, many of you have this in your own, where often a candle is at the beginning of the ceremony is up on the stage, and there's a candle representing one side, and there's another candle representing the other side and the mom of the groom will come and the mom of the bride will come and they'll light the candles together and kind of signify the life that they gave to their children and and then it's preparing to light the candle together uh, in the middle they said you know we want to do that a little differently if we could I said talk to me what, what do you want to do and they said we would like it to be that Christ is that center candle in our relationship they said, because we don't view this going into a relationship as just the two of us. We, we believe there's three in this relationship. Not just us, but, but Christ in the center of this relationship. And then they talked with me about a demonstration that we did here on the stage. The groom grabbed his candle and, and um, he lit it off the Christ. And the bride grabbed her candle and she lit it off the Christ candle. And they held it together. And I gave them an illustration about saying, you know, sometimes, men, your candles will feel as though they go out. And so June blew his candle out. But it's in that time that your spouse gets to come along and uphold you and pray for you, encourage you, and to light your candle. And there'll be another time. So he leaned over and he lit his candle with the jing. And the jing blew her candle out when I talked about how the bride's candle sometimes will go out. We all go through bad times in our lives. We all go through down days or down weeks and just heavy times when your spouse will come over and light your candle and bring your fire back up. And then I said this. I said there are also times when it feels as though both of your candles will go out. They put both their candles and they blew them out. We said it's in that time that you walk back over to this Christ candle and you light your candle because you know his candle will never go out. You know that he is always there in your relationship. And I want to encourage you with that today. Because for some of you in your marriages, you may feel as though it has gone out and you are just hanging on by a flicker. Walk back over. Get your candle lit by Christ. Not by the other person, but by Christ. Knowing that he is always in that relationship with you. And then do whatever you can to encourage the other person to light their candle. Do whatever you can to bring those together and realize that's not just about the two of you, but it's about the three of you. And you keep your eyes on Christ. That's the foundation we need. That's the relationship we need. And I know some of you are here today, you on your last days, you feel like a marriage. No, you're not. God is getting ready to do a miracle in your life. You just need to look to him. In fact, I just want to end this time just, just praying for marriages whether you have a solid marriage or you feel like marriage, the candle flame has gone out, let's take a few moments and let's just pray for them that God will do some supernatural work in our marriages for his glory and for his honor.